0: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, November 15th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. I'm being joined by the team from Pittsburgh Power. We'll find out what's on their mind this week, and then we will get to your calls and questions. We're going to open the phone lines right now, so jump in and start dialing. 855-950-3835. 855-950-3835. So uh, I'm not going to open with anything today. We'll find out what uh, what's new and exciting with the team from Pittsburgh Power. Then we'll get to your call. So line them up now. They've been getting very, very busy lately. So you want to jump in early. 855-950-3835. Five. It looks like Bruce is up on the board first. Bruce, welcome back.
1: Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. And I don't have a lot of engine wise today, but i you caught me off guard a week ago when you said you've been going to chiropractors for a long time because I've been dealing with the same one since 1979, and if it wasn't for him, I'd be in a wheelchair, so i yeah, I wanted to say that,
0: you know, it's a, it's an interesting topic. So, I started going to chiropractors in ah it would have been 1976. I remember my first time. Um, not I don't go to the same one anymore, but it was interesting I, when I was back in um, back in the east when I hung out at your place, and then I was bouncing back and forth between where I grew up and seeing my family. Um, We got talking about chiropractors, and my sister-in-law started talking about her chiropractor, and she kept saying Mike, and I said, that's not Mike Schimmel, is it? And she said, yeah, that was the first chiropractor I went to back in 76. Um, He was was about four years ahead of me in school, big football player, um, just a, a great chiropractor. So my first experience was I was in eighth grade, and wrestling was really hard on my neck, And I was walking, just walking, and my head, like somebody punched me on the right side of my jaw, my head snapped to the left, and I heard this big pop. And then when I tried to move my head back straight, the whole right side of my neck started to cramp, and I had to turn left a little bit to relieve it, and I had to keep doing that pretty soon, my whole head was as far left as it would go, and I couldn't move it back. And luckily, my family doctor, yeah, my family doctor actually believed in and practiced some chiropractic. So I went to his office because it was right there in town, and he did an adjustment, put me in traction for about an hour, and it fixed it. And he said, you should really find a good chiropractor and start going. Uh, And then my son, Michael, when he was like two, he woke up one morning and he was just screaming And he was saying his neck hurt. And the first thing I thought um, was spinal meningitis, which is really dangerous for kids. So I immediately called Mike then. He was still my chiropractor at the time. And I started to explain the symptoms. And he said, have him put his chin down to his chest. See if he can do that. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but that was like the indicator of whether it was spinal meningitis or not. And I don't remember if he could do it or couldn't do it, uh, or how that worked, but he passed that test. And Mike said, well, it's not meningitis. Don't worry about it. Just bring him in for an adjustment. So he's been getting adjusted since he was two. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, the the one one other thing on chiropractors really quick, the, um, one of our regular guests on Destination Health is a cardiologist who now does all natural. Um, and he was a traditional cardiologist for years. His, you heard the show the other day, uh, Dr. Wolfson, you were on the line. Yeah I, heard, um, he, yeah, I heard part of it, yeah. He met a woman at a medical conference and she was a chiropractor and she got him started down that path. They're married now with three kids, but that's why he switched from traditional cardiology to natural.
1: Yep, that's right. Okay, so I was thinking the other day, and ever since we've had Catalyst, what, three and a half years now, I don't get the phone calls. My truck hasn't missed. My truck hasn't skipped. I think, you know, that's almost a thing of the past because almost all of our listeners are using the max catalyst. And then this morning I get a phone call from Tony Edwards with an N14 Select Plus in Kansas. And he's getting a lot of fuel dilution and he has this missing going on. And he is using the catalyst and the mixture of Lucas. So that's what I'm working on this afternoon. <clears throat> but that's all that I have. I mean, here I was thinking, wow, those problems are behind us, and now one came up.
0: Got it. You know, the I'm working on some, back to health for a second, I'm working on some functional drinks, things you can use throughout the day, because what we're finding is the supplements that do work, in order to get the amounts that actually work, you've got to take a lot of capsules if they're in capsule form, and we're just finding that putting the the really high-potency supplements into drinks works a lot better. Like the Cardio Miracle is one example, or, you know, our NDK coffee in the morning. So I've been developing different drinks around adaptogens. And the other day I was posting, and it just popped into my head. I said, you know, this drink's kind of like max mileage for your body. There you go. Yeah. I'll have to get some of that. I need some of that. I I I get tired of water. uh, I am working up a special recipe for you, specifically one in the morning and one in the evening, and it's, I'm pretty sure it's going to fix your sleep issues or at least improve them. So as soon as I get it all done, I'll, I'll send you everything. All right. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's, uh, okay. let's find out what's on everybody else's mind. Pete, good morning.
2: Hello, Kevin. How are you today?
0: Doing good. What's on your mind this week? Anything new and exciting?
2: So I was just going to go over some of the parts, what we can and can't get. And it, it changes right now. Uh, the one boxes are still on back order. That hasn't changed. Some of the cylinder kits for e 12 are on back order. Cat dampers, um, we got... 40 more on order once that we get that order. That'll be last we get to like February. Wow. Those are, and it's problem getting the material to make them is where the, the hold up is there and then catch shims. So if you do an in frame and you cut the block for a shim, they're having trouble getting those shims. They have stainless shims that uh, you would use to bring up the depth
0: to the, the correct height. So um, with, Without that shim, you're kind of stuck, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you now, believe?
2: I don't
0: know if anyone. <laughs> an aftermarket one. Yeah. And
2: I think you have some variations. Like there's different thicknesses, and you could always double them up. Say you can't get to one, so you have some room to wiggle. But the, the 60000 thousandths, which I believe we typically use, we've been having trouble getting.
0: Boy, wouldn't that be crazy to have a and truck it- sitting over one part like that?
2: We've seen that here.
0: I know. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. They're relatively
2: small. Uh, big cams, injectors, cylinder um, kits are right now pretty well stocked up. But as I, you know, multiple times a week I check inventory, and I'll pick up one cylinder kit here, two injectors there, just to keep my stock built up. But uh, they're getting, it's getting thin. And ISXs so far, no problems there. So Cummins is doing a pretty good job maintaining parts for the ISX engines.
0: So that's a good thing. Good. Yeah. What else you got?
2: So then also, and and you saw where FedEx is laying people off and reducing flight. Something else they did. So if I would overnight you a package. Uh, previously, if it didn't get there overnight, with the exception of a storm, you would get credited back for the overnight freight. Now they're not going to guarantee it. So if you order something for me and I overnight it, and it does not get there. Um, you're just SOL. You paid yeah. the overnight freight and you didn't
0: get it yeah. over. There's nothing they're going to do. That will make me insane if it happens. I just don't understand that. You pay for a specific service, and you pay significantly more for that service, and now they're just saying, eh, well, it's hit or miss. If we screw up too bad, you pay the price.
2: And I, like, I can understand, okay, it's heading to Florida, and there's a hurricane coming. Yeah, exactly. Uh, bad um, yeah. Um, so we did two overnights on Friday. One was overnight Saturday. And the other one's just standard overnight, which would have been Monday. And we processed them, charged them, and FedEx never came to pick them up.
0: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, know, Um, I I understand the weather and acts of God. The airlines are the same way. If you ever have a flight canceled or you're delayed and you have to spend the night somewhere, you know, the airlines don't usually cover that if it's weather related. Um, which I get. We can't control the weather. But you control everything else in your network, in your operation, and if you fail to perform a service I paid for, there should be some relief for that. And I'm fine. Give me a credit. You don't have to give me cash back. Give me a credit. I'll use it. But to just say, you can pay all this extra money, but you're taking the risk. I'm going to stop using the really expensive service then exactly Exactly. and unfortunately then and it's our customers that suffer because of that sometimes they want something you know we have people who don't go home very often so the most reliable way to get them something was when they know they're going to be at a truck stop and they can wait there a little bit tomorrow and you can overnight it to them there but now uh, that would be a disaster if it doesn't get there, you're not getting your money back, and they have to hang out to wait for a package, or it's lost in the system.
2: Wait an, another day, and uh, yeah, so one convenience, but also if, if a guy's down, yeah, you're costing him a lot of money. So hundred dollars paying for overnight freight isn't a problem when it, it enables right. him to get another another. Level. Yeah, when we miss that luck, okay, what do we do next?
0: Ah. Uh. Unbelievable. I I just never thought I I would see the day here in this country where almost all the things that have been improving for decades are now getting worse. We're seeing shortages. We're seeing prices go through the roof. We're seeing poor service. Now they don't even want to guarantee the service you're paying for. It's been a horrible three years as far as this kind of stuff goes, and it doesn't seem like it's slowing down.
2: Not getting any better, for sure.
0: Unbelievable. All right. Now that you brought us all down, what else have you got? Yeah, that's just bad news today. Just bad news today. All right. I've got a question for you, because you usually have a pretty good feel for everything that's going on there. Um, Are you getting a lot of people coming in interested in fuel economy? Are you you getting a – has it gone up, down, stayed about the same – uh, what are you seeing around that?
2: I would say it stayed the same.
0: Yeah, that's uh,
2: yeah. I, different than what it was before. It's it still, and, and it's been, I mean, Pumage, had, even when fuel was cheap or cheaper, um, you know, customers are still interested in it. And, and now. I wouldn't say any less, but you would think it would be more because of the price.
0: That's kind of my point. So I've been watching two or three. Well, this would be the third indicator that you're not seeing any real interest. Nothing's really changed. Um, When I'm out on the highways, people are flying in trucks. They are driving so fast. Um, Here in the Gorge, you know, they increased the speed limit in the Gorge here to, I think, 60 for trucks, 65 for cars. Um, When I'm driving through the Gorge, it's just a beautiful drive. I don't have that far to go, so I normally set my cruise at about 60. Uh, The trucks are just blowing by me at 70 or 75 here in the Gorge. Um, One, risking a ticket, and two... The, the winds through here are horrible most of the time, and they're either got a big tailwind or a big headwind, one of the two. Um, and nobody's slowing down. That's one indicator. The other one, I do a, a free-for-all show on Monday. We do this show on Tuesday, which really not many shows are better than this one for fuel economy. We have four people here with opinions on fuel economy. Um, Thursday's another free-for-all. Anybody could ask fuel mileage questions there. And Friday is all about fuel mileage with John and Joel. And we get very, very few calls on fuel economy anymore. And people say, well, you're always talking about health. I-, I don't talk about anything on those days. It's whatever the callers want to talk about. And that's what they want to talk about. We're not getting a lot of fuel mileage questions. And now to find out you're really not either I- – I never thought we would see the day with uh, how many months are we now with fuels been over $5 a gallon for a long time. And we're just kind of taking it for granted. There is so much money to be saved. I had a guy call me yesterday and he was asking about fuel economy, but it wasn't his truck. It was a company truck. And he wanted to know what gear ratios he should have. And I immediately thought, He's asking me about gear ratios. I wonder what else, you know, what this truck is like. Well, it turns out it's a big um, big classic. The reason they're looking at gear ratios is because they're going to stretch out the frame even more. And it's a, a livestock hauler. Um, right. I forget. They were going over 300 inches, so they thought they'd get a cutoff and, you know, change the gear ratio. And I said, hold on. I said, I, I can't imagine that this truck's getting more than four and a half miles to the gallon right now. And he said, "Now four and a half would be a good day. And I said, you know, we've proven, and, and he started, well, we, we pull a bull rack and there's nothing. I said, just stop. We've proven that you can get over eight miles to the gallon pulling a livestock trailer. We had a couple people do it. Jeff Zarley did an, I think Jeff actually broke nine a couple of times. And not just on one run. I think he did it for extended periods, which was pretty incredible. Um, So I said, look, I said, I I could I doubt that the owner of this truck could care less what gear ratio it is. I said, whatever's in there now, just throw it back in there. It's not going to matter. Well, you know, I want to tell him what the best gear ratio is because I'm going to buy this truck in a year. (laughs) So then I kind of went off on the guy. I said, do you realize that truck will cost you an additional $40,000 a year in fuel at today's fuel price, $40,000 more on fuel than he has to spend if he would just spec a good truck for this. I said, you're insane if you buy that truck. And I said, since you want a gear ratio, I said, take this to your boss and tell me what he says. He'll probably laugh at you and kick you out of the office. The truck had 342s in it. I said, go in and tell the boss, you really think you should put 264s in this. It was a CAT 6NZ with an 18 speed, double overdrive. And I said, 264s would be awesome. It, that's the best you're going to get on that truck for fuel economy, to run it in direct. You got an overdrive gear when you need it. You got to get away from the police gear if you really want that one. Um, but just just call me back and let me know what your boss says. What do you think a guy that runs big classics and stretches them out over 300 inches is going to say when we mention 264s? Yeah. I don't think he's going to be happy with that. He's not going to understand it. No, he's going to do what we've heard for 30 years when we've tried to recommend these, but that's the kind of stuff people are still doing. I, I just don't understand why we're, we're just kind of accepting that fuel is this expensive. The only thing I can think is that rates have been so strong up until just recently that they're still getting away with it. They're still paying the bills. They're making a little money. Um, you know, you, I, I talked the other day about FedEx is laying off people. Amazon is laying off people. Facebook is laying off people. If Amazon, I think Amazon's laying off 10,000 people. Amazon creates an awful lot of shipping in our country, whether you like them or not. They, they've got warehouses everywhere. We move all kinds of stuff around for them. Um, when, when FedEx and Amazon start laying people off before the holiday rush, that's not a good sign. They're hiring now. Yeah, exactly. Usually they are begging for people. They can't find enough right now. It's peak season. And instead they're laying people off. Or, or immediately planning on laying them off right after peak season, I think one of them was. Um, Facebook, Twitter, um, you know, those may not affect us in, in trucking, but it's a pretty clear sign that things are not looking so good. Why did they want to stretch the thing? simply appearance or that's it or, i asked him the same question they're already kind of stretched i said what's the point in stretching them and he said oh my boss just likes the look of it you don't even have to ask that he know <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <it's> just, yeah. <laughs> good good point, good point. Yeah, sh- you're right good boy yeah there's square nose it's it's going to get stretched you know there just, you go you're right you're right. And, and you know, look, I made the comment. I, I, I'm hard on classics just because I can't understand losing a full mile per gallon just because of the way a truck looks. But I've also said, if you've been doing this a long time and you're successful and you like classics, then you should go buy them. You really should. That's part of owning your own business. You get to make your own decisions. Um, but it, it's so many times I see guys who call me and they're struggling. And they start blaming the brokers and the fuel price and on and on and on. And I find out they're driving a classic at 75 miles an hour. Well, yeah, I'm going to call you an idiot then. Because that that's just a stupid way to do business.
2: Well, and down is just the easiest. And, and they're not rushing to get to another load. Right. Because the loads aren't uh, out there. Yeah. In most I, cases. Well, uh, you know, uh, that made sense when people were busy. Yeah. You know, run as hard as you can and get, you know, three more loads a month, uh, four loads a month extra that it, paid for the fuel mileage when fuel was two bucks a
0: gallon. It didn't matter. We tried to help people with that. And I actually have a calculator that I created and we put in the rate. Um, that they're on or their average rate and then we put in the fuel price and we put in the speed and then we can change the speed and you get a calculation on you know kind of where the sweet spot is right now to run it's not like we're saying you should run 57 miles an hour all the time no matter what we don't say that when rates were high and freight was everywhere we were saying no go out and knock it down get as many loads as you can You know, try to be reasonable. Keep in mind that if you're not rushing to another load on this day, maybe you should go slower. But it's we we try to help them understand that there's a lot of variables here, but we are now heading or we're in and, and it's going to get worse. We're in a cycle where your default should be to drive 60 or less.
2: Yep, I agree.
0: But I don't know
3: if you have an 800 horsepower cat in the cattle hauler with a stretch frame, you're not doing 55. Come
0: on, why not? That'd be like what 15th gear or something, just, right?
3: That's just not the way the game's played.
0: Yeah, well, you
3: know, if you're going to play, that's that you choose to play. You want to be
1: actually, I've I've seen cattle uh, cattle haulers that have slowed down a lot. I've seen them slow down.
0: Yeah, I you know, I don't Compared see... Compared to what they did 10 years ago. Yeah, I don't see many of them out here. But when I do see them out here, I don't see nearly as many in the West as when I get to the Midwest. And uh, But when I do see them out here, we're not talking 75, we're talking 85 because of the speed limits out here. They're still running hard when I see them. And again, I'm just getting We used to do... Man, there was a time I bet at least 50% of my calls were fuel mileage. That's just not the case much anymore. Even on the days when it's a free-for-all or a day like today, um, if you want to know about fuel mileage, today is the day to call. You've got a lot of experience here, and Fridays are the same thing. We end up, you know, just talking about a lot of new technology and results that Joel's getting or a couple other guys. We just don't get a ton of calls questioning fuel mileage anymore. Maybe people are just assuming these new trucks, there's just nothing you can do to them. They are what they are. And that's not true. I, we can't do nearly as much as we could. But the call yesterday, that was a 6NZ. There's a ton of things we could do to that truck to get better fuel economy. And he was saying four and a half was a good day. No. That, um, that puts your cost per mile for fuel at about if I'm doing the math right in my head that's about a buck 15 or a buck 20 a mile just your fuel cost mm-hmm. but you look good doing it that's right but here's hey. the here's the other thing I tell these guys you spend 11 hours a day driving that truck you can't see it what do you care what it looks like and then you spend all night sleeping in it the only time you see it is when you're walking back and forth to it a couple minutes a day
1: and uh, no, I, st- I'd still have to have a good-looking truck, Kevin.
0: But good-looking, absolutely. Bruce doesn't have to mean four and a half miles to the gallon. Right, I agree. I yeah, agree. I, I don't. I look. I love it when people take pride in their truck, and it's beautiful and it's clean, and they take care of it. And absolutely. But the nine and ten mile per gallon trucks look nice, and they're clean, and and boy. That's a, That's just so much money being wasted. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll, we'll I see. Think we had to get to the hey, call. Well, we don't have any. I think I scared everybody off. Oh, we don't have any calls. Wow. None. Okay. Can you believe that? I think I must have scared. We had one. That was on hold. I don't know what happened to that one. Um, maybe we should let people know we're, we, uh, we're done blabbing now. And if you want to call, call, we'd love to help you with fuel mileage, but if you have any other questions, call. I have a question for you, Kevin. Sure.
2: So, you know, up, we know air dynamics, so when we want to slope the hood. Um, I think from outside. What does the length of the hood have to do with it? Like an FLD, so, not the classic, what, like what Jackie has. Um, Jack's behind the sleeper. The air cleaner's underneath the hood. It's The hood's slope. Um, it's longer, which gives you nice access to the engine. Nowadays, it seems so, like they're going to shorten the hood for the sitting further back. How much of a difference is it the hood?
0: Versus it, giving it- so it, it's a minor difference, but there is a difference. It, so one of the things to think about... Is the just the surface area of the truck and trailer? Every surface area, no matter how smooth or aerodynamic it is, creates drag. So, the smaller a vehicle is, the less drag it creates. So, they're, they're part of the problem for the OEMs right now is that they're being forced into fuel mileage standards, and that's probably going to get worse. So, you're going to see them start to lighten up components. Um, you're going to see really, really minor tweaks across the board to try to improve fuel economy on their whole lineup. Most of the OEMs have said, if Obama tried to push through some really strict standards on this and and fortunately he didn't get it through, um, the OEMs claimed if those standards would have went through, they would have all dropped their classic trucks because they have to meet a fleet average and their classic trucks were killing them. Um, I think we, we got a little bit of time on that, but we have new emission standards coming up that will probably hurt fuel economy. Uh, so they're, they're making all these little minor tweaks to try to improve fuel economy wherever they can. The other thing, you know, aerodynamics can be so crazy to look at and figure out. Just sloping the hood is only the beginning, Every angle, every edge, every everything on that truck can affect the aerodynamics. So if you look at the electric trucks, you'll start to see what the best aerodynamics look like. The reason you've never seen that before is we can't build a truck like that with a, an internal combustion engine. Because of the size of the engine being up front, the cooling system that it needs, all that airflow that we need to cool that engine requires a lot of vehicle up front. And if you look at the Tesla and the, the Thor, if that one is, I don't even know if they're building that one or if that company's still around. They were just weird. I mean, you look at them and you go, why does it look so bizarre? Uh, and it's, it's aerodynamics because with an electric vehicle, they have the freedom to really design aerodynamics that work. I think that the Tesla truck, they compared the aerodynamic drag to one of the, you know, top level sports cars.
4: Well,
3: in a sports car can be, you know, they don't always build them. Correct. For the best, right. You know, but it's, it's still an Porsche interesting drag. comparison.
0: You- Sounds good. Yeah. And then, if you look at it the, yeah. if you look at, and we've been doing this a lot lately, John was sending us pictures from Italy. He was over there for like three weeks. Um, you look at how aerodynamic their cab overs are. And we used to think, oh, that you can't make a cab over aerodynamics like driving a billboard. But what we fail to realize is the most aerodynamic shape is what, Leroy? Uh, Like a teardrop? Yep. A raindrop falling because the wind actually shapes it into a very... So we always think of pointy in the front and round in the back. It's the exact opposite. The big round bubble in the front that, that tapers back. So with the cab overs, they're able to create that kind of front shape that makes the rest of the vehicle more aerodynamic. Yeah, I don't think cab-overs really have, like, one of the most important parts
3: of, you know, low drag and all this is frontal area. If you were just to look at a cab-over in the front perfectly and a regular, I guess you could say a regular semi-truck, they have about the same size frontal area, and that's about the same size as the area of the trailer. So, really just slanting the hood is just sort of fixing the you know, some of the more obvious stuff, but it doesn't reduce the overall frontal area. It's frontal yeah. area and what, how you put the air back together behind the truck.
0: Uh, there's a good point. So the, the goal, trying to simplify this as much as we can, and I'm not sure I understand it when it gets too complicated. The goal is to try to keep the air as close to the body as possible. We don't want it breaking away from the vehicle. That's when we create a lot of turbulence. So if you think about the shape of a conventional truck, where we narrow down the front grill as much as we can get away with, we slope the hood down lower, and then we angle up. Think about the air now is actually being directed away from that trailer in almost all directions. It may be subtle and they've smoothed it out quite a bit, but the shape is sending it away from. It's sending it away from both sides and away from the top. And then we have to try to create, you know, fairings and other stuff that, that bring it back. But the cab over, if it's designed right, it, it has that one, you know, big surface, but then after that, the air follows the rest of the vehicle.
3: Isn't there another regulation in Europe that they have cab overs or for a reason because of like overall length or
0: something? Probably. Isn't that a thing? Probably. They, it's very, very tight over there. So you'll see a lot of um, four-by-twos, just single-axle tractors with tri-axle trailers. And the axles are set pretty far forward. The gap is so tight you can't get your head in there to, to connect your airlines. It's so tight. Uh, so they've got everything tightened up to keep uh, length down because their cities are so small. Yeah, I
3: thought that was the main reason for than the cab-overs. They're definitely, I wouldn't say definitely more aerodynamic, but they are. But I thought, yeah, the main reason
0: oh, regulation. Now, now, by far, their, aero, their cab-overs are far more aerodynamic than our trucks. It, it's a pretty significant oh, okay. difference. but it, it And it's not just that it's a cab-over, though. It's all the little, I mean, you look at the ground effects that they use over there. The gap between the trailer is huge. And like I said, you can't get your head in there to to get to your airlines. That's how tight that gap is. So it's it's a lot of factors, not just that it's a cab over, but they've done amazing work on aerodynamics because they've dealt with high fuel prices for decades. I mean, they were forced to do it just because of cost. Yeah, yeah. And and then what you see is that that I had to ask somebody about this. Someone like I'm like, what's with the 37 giant? You know gazillion candle power lights they put all over these trucks in Europe. Like, what is that for? Because, boy, that does a number on their aerodynamics. Um, Turns out that mostly it's like stretching the frame here. That's like a it's just a style thing for most of those guys. Now, I I did hear that that started in Scandinavia um, because they drive in the dark so much of the year and they're out on, you know, Not busy roads, and they're out in the country, and and the lights are actually very helpful for them. Uh, And some of these guys actually use them in Europe when you're on those tight two-lane roads that you can't even make the curve in the road without going into the other lane sometimes. So there is some use for those kind of lights, but for the most part, those are all just for style. Hmm. Are
3: they still called chicken lights over there? Is that that's a good
0: question. I, uh, I'm going to shout out to my, we have a, we have a European trucking correspondent now, Kevin O'Sullivan. I always go to him with these questions. So if he's listening, uh, he'll send me a message on trucking tribe. I don't know what they call them.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't well, do chicken, chicken lights are, are the side lights, not the headlights. So you want to call chicken
0: lights. Yeah. Wasn't that because of all the chicken haulers were the first ones to put them all over their trailers? that where that came from nobody knows I somebody know, I like them I like them <laughs> <laughs> well today as long as you make them all LEDs I have to believe that at some point all those lights yeah. were putting a bigger drag on the alternator <clears throat> when they used to be incandescent LEDs can,
3: can draw a lot of power <laughs> can they Depends on how bright they are
0: oh okay. oh yeah okay But that like the little marker lights, shouldn't be any big deal, even if you have 200 of them, right?
3: Yeah. Right. I mean, if those light bars and
0: stuff like that, I mean, those are, uh, those draw a lot of power. Holy cow. Yeah. A little, I I was wandering around just chatting with you guys and I looked, um, we actually just filled up all of our phone lines. We've never done that before. We have a lot of phone lines here. Um, we better get some calls. We're just going to jump right in before we get off on (laughs) another topic. Uh, David in California, welcome.
5: Hey, hey, how you doing, Kevin? How you doing, Bruce?
0: Good. How well, can doing we help you with today?
5: So I have a question. 2012, some guy I know. 2012 Cummings. Peterbilt. Deleted. Uh, No problems for two years. I believe it was three years. He deleted it three years ago. He has no problems. Now, every light he stops, when he takes off, the truck shuts off. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And there's no codes being thrown.
3: I hate when that happens.
5: (laughs) Yeah, we can't figure it out because... So, would it be switch
2: the switch issue? I mean, it could lose power to the ECM.
3: Yeah, you'll have to find someone to pull that in and look at it. I mean, that could be a ton of things. They could have check engine lights blocked. They could have engine protections turned off, turned on. Like, who knows what's going on with the thing. Most likely, it's just a wiring problem if it just straight... When it shuts off, does, like, the dash go... Go out or blow
5: smoke. He said it blows smoke when it shut when he starts back up. It'll blow smoke. Yeah, for a little bit. And it's fine as long as it's rolling. But when he stops at a light and takes off, it'll shut off.
3: Yeah, that may be one of those things where if you can get it to do it all the time, you're gonna he's gonna have to find a shop to take it to. And you know, if you can get it to do it, then they should be able to find the problem. But that can be just a a myriad of things. I don't have any ideas yeah. off the top of my head. Especially once it's deleted, it's just all the troubleshooting kinda of goes out the window. So
5: Yep. He knows. He regrets it. And
2: the problem but, is yeah. when you hey. have to work on it once you have a delete kind of open to can of worms. And like you yeah. said if we you know something simple or something with the program, and then where do you start from there? No one's going to touch the program on a deleted engine. So,
3: well, it's it's mostly not the, the the file. The file just makes it hard because if it was the file, then it would do it from day one. But if it's like a new ECM, like if it's a dead ECM or it's going bad, and you have to put a new one on, now you have to find somebody to put a deleted program back in. So it just gets really ugly.
5: Yeah.
1: We find the 2012 and newer trucks, if you maintain the emission systems and run the catalyst and do the diesel force cleaning, you'll truck trouble-free in 2012 and newer. So there was no reason to do that.
5: He kept burning turbos. Like, he put one in at Jubitz. And like uh nine months later, I think even earlier than that, the turbo burnt out again and some guy said I had the same problem. Take it to this guy, ne- get it deleted.
1: We've never heard of that happening. That's what he burning did. out a turbo. It takes it takes a tremendous amount of heat. So something was wrong in the settings. Was it burning the turbine housing, burning the variable geometry vin. But he had way too much heat, and most of those engines run pretty cool. So they magnified the problem by doing a delete.
5: Yeah. Okay, so there's nothing we can do then unless you find somebody that is willing to go in there and help you, right? Because it's deleted.
3: Yeah. Yeah, deleting it really
2: limited your you know shops that are willing to work on it
5: yeah okay well i got it uh thank you very much guys hopefully we find the problem <laughs> yeah thank you well, very much good all Have right a good
0: day. let it let us Bye. know when you do let's uh i will all right let me get back to the calls here because we've got a bunch of them we are off to Tennessee this time. Gabe, welcome to the program.
6: How you doing today?
0: Good. What can we help you with? I got your favorite truck. <laughs> okay, I'm what's that? To improve my fuel mileage on a classic. Uh, good, good. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Bruce, what's? I know you've worked with a couple guys on this. What? Uh, what's possible out of a classic if everything else is done right? 8.3. That's pretty impressive. Well, that's, I'm getting, that's damn impressive.
6: Well, what I'm
1: doing... That's when out I'm of a, when that's I have a 379 the with 2WS cat in it, running 58-mile-an-hour Buffalo to Chicago, pulling a reefer, Carl Kellner,
0: 8.3. Reefer freight's heavy, so that's a that's a damn good number to hit. Oh.
6: I have a 23 389 with a 500 efficiency series coming, and I pull heavy. I'm 80,000 pounds 89 for 90% of the time. And when I run 65, I'm averaging seven.
0: That's not bad. That's, That's good. a good start. Yeah. It's only
6: got 50,000 miles on it.
0: That's a good start. What rear gears do you have?
6: It's a 23.
1: What rear gears?
6: Oh, sixes.
1: Three thirty sixes. So at sixty five, what's your RPM?
6: At sixty-five my RPMs is thirteen fifty. Thirteen thirty, I'm sorry.
1: So that's okay.
0: Yeah, for a so long fourteen hundred
1: you're good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And at sixty I'm at twelve hundred. So um okay. dual dual Vortox air cleaners? Yes. Do you have fleet air filters in there yet?
6: I, it, no, I don't have fleet air filters yet. I actually was concerned if I would put the fleet air filters, if I would mess up my warranty yet. That's why they're not in there yet.
0: No. No. It's, nothing, it's
6: a stock truck, I, nothing done to it yet.
0: So let, let's talk about warranty because we haven't talked about this in a while. But this question, whether fleet air filters would, two things. I've never heard a shop ever say anything like that. I have heard them say things like this for the OPS and some other things that we installed on the engine. Never heard it about air air filters. But if you were worried about that, just when you buy the fleet air filters, just save your old paper filters. And if you ever have to go back to the shop for any kind of warranty work, just throw them in. They'll never know. And it's easy. So that's, that's one quick way. But I've never heard them mention air filters. Here's the other thing we need to understand about warranty. There's the law, and then there's what might happen in the real world. And I like to help people understand both. The law says very, very clearly about the manufacturer's warranty. The manufacturer, if they are going to refuse the warranty, they have to prove that it was not their fault. So just because you modified their truck somehow, that doesn't allow them to say, oh, you modified it. There's no warranty. If you modified one part of the truck and the engine fails, they have to prove that it was your modification that caused the failure. And if they can't prove that, then they're still on the hook for that warranty. If and that's the way it should be. If their part fails, that, that should be their warranty. If you do something to the truck that causes their part to fail, they shouldn't have to cover that. But you can go back on the manufacturer of the product. everybody that sells these kind of products should have uh, insurance that covers these kinds of things. So that's always an option. Now would you you still use, let me just give you you my take on this
6: air filter
0: Uh, on a new truck. Absolutely. Day one.
6: uh, uh, Right. But I what what I'm trying to say is in the industry I run, I run in the dry bulk industry. When we load, it's very dusty.
0: You you may have to play around with that and see how often that filter is getting dirty. And oil sample so we can see if the dirt's getting in or not. So I, I don't try to just say, oh, no, you shouldn't use it. Experiment with it and see. In a, in a lot of cases, it'll be just fine. You get two sets of wraps and you just change them more often. And then watch your oil samples for silicon. Um, As far as warranty goes on a new truck, there is nothing I wouldn't do to a new truck if I wanted to. If I thought it was going to help or I was testing, there is nothing I wouldn't try. That warranty to me is almost worthless.
6: I don't buy an extended warranty because exactly. I just right. worried about the factory warranty. I'm not worried about extended or anything
0: like that. Uh, it is so. Uh, I'm not going to say it never happens, but it's so rare that they turn down warranties. I, and I've seen warranties turned down when you've done no modifications to the truck, and that's a tough place to be because how do you fight these guys? It's it's hard. It takes a long time. It's expensive. But I've seen warranties just. That they just refuse them for whatever reason. So to me, the warranty's not worth much. Well, I mean, they if- they refuse them sometimes for no reason. I, I'm going to modify the truck. I'm not going to wait two or three years and lose all that potential savings in fuel economy. Correct. Hell, if you do enough modifications and your failure happens in the second year of your warranty, you may have already covered all the cost with the savings anyway. So, well, uh, other than the fleet
6: airfield, is there anything else I um, would suggest?
0: Flow I below. Do run
6: the catalyst, it's been running the catalyst since day one.
0: Good. Flow below. Even though the rest of your truck isn't all that aerodynamic, we can still make improvements with with little things. The air tabs might make a tiny bit of difference. Uh, and the flow below makes us significant. I mean, three or four tenths. And then, We've been seeing about four to six tenths. Uh, on the tune on that engine. We've been having really good success with those. I was just about to ask you guys, now what can we do to the engine specifically now to get even more?
3: Yeah, we have a sort of one that we made maybe six, seven months ago. Uh, That uh, seems to be working really well. The low-end people, I feel like, almost always get four tenths. Uh,
0: I know that's your magic number, but I've seen people upwards of six, seven tenths with it. So... All right, so you guys help me out here with the numbers. If we were to take this truck and put in two fleet air filters, a tune, air tabs, and flow below, um, let's just stop there for a second. I would say that you've got a pretty darn good chance of picking up a mile per gallon between those four modifications, and what would it cost?
3: I would be disappointed if this thing got less than seven and a half. After all that, I think seven and a half is easily achievable with all those modifications.
0: If he's doing seven already or close to it, I'm shooting for eight here. I mean, four tenths. I know that's what you're shooting for. I'm just Oh, yeah, you're right. Probably at least my ninety-day average.
6: My ninety-day average would not. You know, not every time I'm conservative on. You know, sometimes I just got to get on it to get the the delivery. That's
0: the real Um, world that I have. Okay, so I, I you think know, I'm six that and a
5: half when
6: Leroy's on my right on average. That.
0: I think Leroy's right on then. Seven and a half would be a, a a great goal if we got less than that, we'd probably wonder why. And you know yeah. what 800 bucks for two fleet aircraft I'm so bad on prices, I don't know. We, we'd probably be spending less than five thousand right or close to it.
3: I don't know how much one of those flow below things are. Ah, if I remember right,
0: two hundred and fifty, including. In- yeah, flow below is yeah. like thirteen or fourteen. I should know; it's on our website. We sell it, but I never know prices. Hisk, hisk. But yeah, exactly. Like- is the flow below is that um, that aerodynamic treatment that goes on the rear uh, tandems. It's the the wheel covers, and then that that dog bone shaped. Piece of plastic that goes in between the two tandems, and then there's a little tail piece that goes behind the back tandem. It really improves the aerodynamics around the tandems where you have a lot of dirty air. Okay. Uh, a big plastic thing. The Flow Below the, uh, entire kit is uh, $1,485 in our store, and they have documented. Three to four tenths. That is one of the very few fuel mileage devices that came on the market that the OEMs now install. If you get almost any of the upgraded, you know, efficiency models of trucks, many of them come with the flow below from the factory. And you see them on fleets, and if you know if fleets do it, then they work. Yeah, because fleets just don't spend money on this kind of stuff. But but when they find something that is that consistent, uh, and this is, it's an aerodynamic improvement. Those are usually pretty consistent. Um, so, you know, if we get that full mile per gallon and we're around five grand or less, how you're going to pay that back in three or four months at today's fuel price. correct
6: okay well i'm gonna have to start doing my research and get some of this ordered.
0: yeah well your your best bet is just pull into pittsburgh power let them do the hawkeye report on it let them give you a list of everything they could do i mean we picked out four things just on the phone when they have the truck there in the shop and they can
6: i almost stopped by there yesterday when i passed through pittsburgh for that reason and i just ran out of time so i passed them
0: up stop in Pull it into the bay and say, I want the best fuel economy you can give me. And just let them make you a list. righty. All right.
6: Next time i am Thank- up there, I'll have to stop in.
0: There you go. Or make a special trip there. Every day you don't do this stuff, you're losing money. And, and the numbers are just big today with that fuel cost. Let's, uh, let's go to Wisconsin. Jim, welcome to the program.
5: good
7: morning guys uh, this might be an intervention or a assistance. <laughs> okay I'm, a, uh, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that will be the same way
0: so before you start
7: driver have been
0: for, before you start oh, I, yeah. I, I do want to let you know I am a certified fuel mileage interventionist. All right. I certified myself. <laughs> I might need you. Yeah, I, I certified myself, but I, I am certified. Go That's ahead.
7: right. I made my own CDL, so don't yeah, worry about
0: it. There you go. That's right. Yes. <laughs>
7: <laughs> so I'm a company driver, have been for four decades. Um, I drive for the largest liquid bulk tank hauler in the United States, I have a red 2019 Freightliner Cascadia. I'm getting 8.2 miles a gallon. Good. Now, this is a 450-horsepower engine, and it's castrated
0: to three. Is that a, uh, by chance, is that a DD-13? It is a DD-13. And you know why I knew that?
7: GHG7. why?
0: Because uh, bulk haulers <laughs> like to save weight everywhere they can. And that 13 lighter. Yeah. Five.
7: Although they add an uh, uh, APU and a pump, so that goes out the window.
0: Yeah, the pumps, <laughs> they have to have the pump. So that's they'll do everything else they can to save. Yeah. The APU is a little surprising, um, but that's driver demand. So that's why they're doing that because their recruiting costs are so high. So they do what they can to keep drivers and then they'll do everything else they can on that truck to make up for the weight. Leroy, what did, what did you say?
3: Oh, I just was making fun. Cause I said you were certified. That's how you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it because I'm certified. That's why I know. Uh, yeah. So go, go on. So that's uh that's interesting that they've so, got that thing cut back so far. Um, I like the DD 13. I think if we spent more time on it, that engine, we would find that it's got plenty of power and we could do better on fuel economy and save some weight. We just, we just don't work on it much because there aren't many on the road. Everybody still gravitates towards the bigger engines.
4: Yeah. We
7: have, uh, probably three 4,000 of them. Yeah. So, um, it, it's, Governed at, uh, like I said, uh, three, I got your, about a 12-year-old scan gauge in here, and it says it's 305. So, oh, no, really
0: do do, do not go by that number. That that may be, we may have just solved the mystery here. I was shocked that anybody could even turn it down that low, or they would. That horsepower number on a scan gauge is not even close to accurate. The only way you can do that, that, that reading, you can calibrate that. So you can, if you want to, and it's just not worth the time. I never bothered to do it on any of mine. You could put it on a dyno and get all the different readings, and then you could go in there and kind of calibrate it, and it would be closer. But it's just not a, a number that's important enough to even bother with. So that, that is not a true number. My guess is this thing is still factory, whatever whatever it was set at from the factory. they going
3: to be anywhere between oh, that, 350 and 40. Yeah. Most
7: of them are yeah. 450. Okay. Uh, we have uh, 342 rear ends, and we have the Eaton FA-016810C auto ship. I normally, and the specs on the thing says in ninth gear is direct drive. It's a 12 speed. Okay. And there is no way I can even get close in ninth gear. No, Not
0: not with, what did you say? They were 342 gears? Yeah, 342. Oh, yeah. There's no way you can run in direct. The, the, the highest number of a gear ratio meaning it's it's the the fastest ratio or the the anything above say a 293 you're just not going to run direct at all not at highway speeds even a 293 you're going to be down in like the 55 mile an hour range in direct You've got to get down to these low numbers. We talk about like 273s, 264s, 240s, 218s. These these really low numbers, high ratios, uh, before you can run and direct. Yeah, so in
7: night gear at 1,750 RPM, but I, I'm at 40
0: miles an hour. But I have another question because <laughs> I, I don't wait, believe to, that I, a 12-speed... I do not believe that ninth is your direct yeah. gear. Some of those eleventh is your direct right. gear, and some of the others it's tenth. None of them are ninth.
2: I think
3: well, on a D twelve, it's either eleventh or
0: twelfth. It just depends if you have a direct yeah, or override you're, transition. I, you're right; it I, may, I, may not, not even, even be 12 i I've ever. Yeah, it may not even be tenth on any of those. It may either be only eleventh or twelfth. Yeah, it's either. I 11th believe or it's 11. It may be that it could that be 11th. That's by the way common. everything yeah. reacts. That's pretty common, but you're with 342s. Yeah, you're, like, you're, you're never going to run at highway speeds in 11th.
7: Yeah, I can get. Uh, I'm pushing the RPM like
0: 1600 oh, that's, in 11th here. No, yeah, it's way too high for that to, engine. You will end up with all yeah. kinds of emission issues if you run it like that.
7: Well, and I've been listening to you guys on Friday, and that's what prompted this call. I use the um, the Bruce's potion there. Um, what the heck, Max? Uh, uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. But. At Good. Cause, $300 a gallon, that's – with this fantastic economy so, we're in, uh, that's going to get tight.
1: So what speed do you – Wait, wait, wait. Two, our price is 225 not $300. $225. Uh,
7: it's, uh, I got it uh, two months ago at um, – Iowa. I was just going to say 80 Iowa eighty
0: up. is probably where you're getting it at that price, yeah, because that's their markup yeah, it was on there. Yeah,
7: it was just under. Yep, it was yeah. just under three hundred.
0: So, what speed do you normally cruise? Sixty-three.
7: I'm at it and at, right now.
0: At sixty-three and twelfth gear, where's the tack? I am at thirteen hundred and. Or. See, they did a really poor job of speccing this. They not only is it not even the right gear for your top speed, you have zero flexibility because the only gear you can use on the highway is your top gear. Had they put, you know, two forty something or maybe even two sixty four, we'd have to run some calculations. Um, you would have been able to run in direct and in the right RPM range, and then you would have had. Another gear to go ten miles an hour faster when you needed to, and still stay in the right RPM range. The, these and it's a shame these these newer transmissions are allowing us to spec better setups on almost every engine, but so few people understand how to do it.
7: All right. So basically, just stay in. 12th gear at, um, uh, 1300
0: RPM. Well, here's the thing. If, and if you were an owner operator, we would definitely talk specifically as a company driver. I'm assuming you get paid by the mile. Most people do. Yes. There's not a lot of incentive for you to slow down to save them fuel. I mean, if you do it, uh, kudos to you for being an awesome employee. Um, but in a lot of times you're punishing yourself. I, I, it's, I just had this talk down at that. I, I'll probably never get invited back to speak by anybody that was in that group <laughs> because I hammered them over this kind of stuff. You know, you're paying your drivers by the mile and then you want them to get better fuel economies. never going to happen. They have no incentive to do that. And, and it, you, the fleet, I said, you could change that. They can't. They're going to run as hard as they can because that's how they make money. So pay them a different way, and then we can all start improving fuel economy. But they've kind of locked you in here. The truck wasn't Spectrate. Um I'm sure they're right. ecstatic with that fuel economy. I'm sure for them that, that you know, these trucks may be some of the best they've ever had. But that doesn't mean we couldn't have done a whole lot better. And they're so uh, Yeah, I'm the here, here's the way you would look 40- at it. With those gears, if you wanted to get the best fuel economy you could, if you were motivated to do that, you would run somewhere between 55 and 63 in 12th gear based on your time constraints. But why drive 55 if you, okay. if you are in any risk of losing miles because of that?
7: Right. Right. And I got it for Bruce... There's 45 trucks in our terminal. I'm the only one that'll use the catalyst. My truck has over 500,000
0: miles, and I have not had any depth issues. That it, all the other trucks have. Because they spec them wrong. Yeah, Had they been spec, right? And well, the catalyst definitely well helps, there's no question. But in this truck, in this engine, but they spec them so poorly that without the catalyst, they're going to really suffer. And they are.
1: but They you, don't lose you. Know, <laughs> <laughs> when you try to talk to a fleet about catalysts, a large fleet, it's uh, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to tar- talk to Bruce, a large fleet about
0: anything. So. Bruce, I was just going to say, um, long before the catalyst, you had all kinds of things that could have helped fleets. And I think you gave up a long time yeah. ago, even attempting to work with them.
1: Yeah, I gave up... Uh, and Charlie Extam, who's no longer with us, came out with the fuel preparator. And, he, and that was in 1990. He said, I'm going to sell it to all the fleets. I said, no, you're not. I'm
0: not going to buy it. Uh, fleets don't buy anything. I can't count so. how many times companies come to me with fuel mileage devices, and they immediately start talking about fleets. And I said, whoa, hold on. There's two problems with this conversation. One, you're talking to the wrong person. If you want to get to fleets, you're going to have to find somebody else. I don't do that. I work with owner-operators. You want to get to owner-operators, you're in the right place. And then I said, and then I can tell you this, that you may put yourself out of business if you try (laughs) too hard with the fleets. They will, first off, they'll demand all kinds of free product to test, and then they won't do the test and you'll wait six months to a year and they won't have any results. And then they'll ask you for more product to test longer. And the odds of you ever selling anything right. to them, slim to none. Right.
7: Uh, just one last thing is uh, out of the 45 drivers, I'll do 63. We can do up to 70. Now the rest so, of them are getting like 7.2 and, and I get on. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, and I'm getting eight, 8.2 uh, on a 90 day right now. And we're
0: 75 to 80,000 pounds most of the time. So, with a liquid, just off the top of my head, we could do some math here. Um, how many trucks total in this fleet? Or total in the division at you're my talking terminal, about, yeah. Okay, so yeah. 45, yeah, 45 trucks, and that one mile per gallon um, between seven two and eight two. I'm going to say it's about fifteen thousand a year at today's fuel cost. You guys running more than a hundred thousand miles a year? Uh, most of us,
7: yes.
0: Okay, so Some I'm don't. I'm going to use fifteen thousand. Fuel cost alone, by, you know, running these trucks the way they're running them, spec the way they are, $675,000 a year is what that's costing them. And we know that 8.2 is possible. You're doing it with no modifications and just the catalyst. And we don't even know if the catalyst is improving fuel economy on this. We know it's helping with emissions might be helping with fuel economy, 675,000, no real modifications, just, you know, better specs, better driving, Um, had they, and then the other problem with these guys running 70, that's when you start to see the emissions problems because the RPM is too high and we're losing heat out of the engine and it's heat that helps keep Uh, those emission systems healthy. And we lose a truck for about a week so now Hopefully the repairs you, go around our you, terminal. You look at repair cost and downtime. That one mistake of specking these trucks wrong in a tiny little fleet like this, your terminal, um, was a million dollar a year mistake. Jeez. Wow. And that may be conservative. I don't know wow. what their maintenance cost and their downtime is costing them. Uh, but it, it's at least a million dollar mistake per year. Wow, huh. that's, yeah. that's And the
7: driver, you know, when they're sitting at home, they don't get paid.
0: Correct. Yeah. So now you have unhappy drivers, and what's one of the biggest problems right. fleets have faced in this industry for thirty years? Keeping good drivers in the seat. That's why now, what is a what kind of APUs on that truck? The uh, uh, thermal king. So what are those today? 15,000 installed. Anybody know? Oh, I'm sure. Years ago, they were 12 before we had all this crazy inflation. I have to believe they're 15,000 installed. The only reason they did that wasn't really to be nice to you guys. We'd like to think that they did it because they spend a gazillion dollars on recruiting every year. And they hope that they could have skipped that device and, Respect the trucks right, and then given all the savings to their drivers, and they would solve a whole bunch of problems all at once. Now, I do have to say (laughs) we get Blue Cross Blue Shield Tier 1. Of course. Look, I'm not saying it's a bad driving job. I'm just saying that as a fleet— They could do so much better for themselves and pay you more, and none of those benefits would go away. They would all still be there. But you could be making more money. They could be making more money. Instead, they're giving all that extra money to the oil companies. That's how we have to look at this. There's money being wasted (laughs) here. The only beneficiary to all that wasted money is the repair shops and the oil companies. I'd rather see it kept at the trucking company and the drivers instead. Oh, and Thermal King's not doing bad. That
7: sounds good to me.
0: And and look, no. I, 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 you know, I, I love having a full-blown APU on a truck, but my God, a lot of us drove an awful lot of miles in a lot of years without anything close to that. Yeah, seventies and eighties. I didn't have. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have front brakes. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> if we had brakes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. All right, Jim. Yeah. Anything else we can help you with? Kudos to you for trying. It's just they've they've uh, your fleet has kind of tied your hands pretty much on this. You're doing about as good as you're going to do.
7: Yeah, it's a shame a railroad company owns us. You would think they'd start looking at it.
0: Yeah, You know, sometimes these companies get so big that a million dollars a year is just, it's just, you know, pocket change to them. That They're not going to put a lot of time and effort into this. You know, the the sad part is we're not asking them to do a lot. Just spec the truck right. Right. (laughs) Yep. They don't know how. And when All right, they, when sir, they thank you. When they go to their dealers, even though right. they buy thousands of trucks a year, their dealers don't know how to spec them right. Or maybe somebody at the dealer tried to talk him into this at one point, and they just wouldn't do it.
7: No, we had a guy that he was fired after we got the first uh, thousand trucks. They knew it was a mistake. <laughs>
0: The sad part is they won't correct it. They got lucky in... They they weren't doing this for fuel economy. They got lucky with the DD-13. I think that's one of the reasons the fleet's doing fairly well, even though they're spec pretty poorly. Um, But they didn't do that for fuel economy. They did that just for weight. They just got lucky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. Great call. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah. You're welcome. I wish we... uh, Wish we could have helped more, but there's not a lot we can do with that one. Let's go to Arkansas, Mark. Welcome to the program.
8: How you doing? Good. Uh, Several, several questions. First question is: um, Can I get a damper for a D13 Volvo engine?
0: Oh, isn't that internal? I I gotta get. I thought I knew this answer, for some reason I can't remember. I'll have to remember to ask Joel about this on Friday what the, what the status of the damper is on those engines. Does anybody else know? I don't want to answer because I don't think I know for sure.
3: one
0: no, the job. I don't think they've changed much over the years. I, I think that that's been an internal damper for a long time. All
8: righty. I, I don't know. I just uh, I haven't had a Volvo engine for years. I bought this used a year and a half ago, and I have uh, – it made a lot of difference on the old Detroits, and this so is kind of uh, my first newer emissions truck that I've had. So. Yeah.
0: yeah, I don't want to tell you – anything about this because I don't know it for sure but I have two options for you one if you go to truckingtribe.com if you're a member there um, put up a post and tag uh, myself and Joel and John all three of us and somebody will get you the right answer Uh, if you tag me I'll just ask Joel or John um, so you might as well tag them at the same time or call on Friday and then we could discuss it in depth
8: Okay. Um, the next question is about tires. Uh, again, I bought this truck a year and a half ago and it had new tires on it. And shortly after that, I purchased a new trader, which had new tires on it. Now the the tires on the truck uh, drive tires are caps and I get pretty good fuel mileage. I'm happy.
0: I'm happy with what I'm getting for the way I I drive. Let's stop right there. OK, because there are certain things that are just easy to change and don't affect much of anything else. And they just improve fuel economy. So when I hear somebody say, I'm happy where I am, um, I, I'm assuming you're getting better than 10.
8: No. Oh, OK. But I don't drive slow either. Yeah, so
0: um, you're getting better than nine. And I, I'm
8: getting better than eight. But How much just better?
0: Just barely. Uh, just barely. So there's lots of room I, for improvement yeah, that I, may not cost a lot of money, and may just start paying you back pretty quickly. So it's okay to be happy with it. But okay, I, we could also improve I, it.
8: I'm at 8 point, 8.1 on my ninety day averages, and and <laughs> I do stay in the Midwest, so I'm not running a lot of lot of hills. So uh, let, let no me tell you this. Things.
0: That because you started to ask about okay. tires. Um, I can promise you that we can make an improvement in tires. If you've got caps, there's no doubt we can make an improvement.
8: Okay. Well, I'm yeah, I'm at about 160,000 miles on these tires. And I I do need steering tires now because I did have a, an alignment issue that Chad took care of, but I got a wear pattern on my steer tires. so Now... I, Getting close, and I'm looking at the the tires that came on my new trailer are not uh, good low rolling resistant tires, and I have put a lot of wear on them. But I'm I'm looking at ten grand to put tires on here now, and um, you know which is you know a three or four thousand dollar difference between high end tires and low end tires.
0: So three or that four thousand, right? yeah, it it is. Um, three or four thousand is kind of a blink of an eye in fuel price these these days. So you got to think about this. How long? Just a a, a rough estimate based on your experience and your operation. How long are these tires going to last you?
8: Um, well, I can get another hundred thousand miles out of my drive tires, but no, let, my, let's,
0: my steering tires. Well, hold on. Let me let me clarify a few things. Right now, we're talking about fuel economy and rolling resistance. Just ignore the steer axle. It's not enough of a difference, and almost all good steer tires today have reasonable rolling resistance. So, on the steer axle, I tell people, buy the tire you like that performs the way you want it to perform. Buy it for wear. Buy it for handling. Don't even think about fuel economy on the steer axle. The rest of your drive tires and your trailer tires, think they're going to last you two years? Uh, no. No? Uh, really? Well, I,
8: from, uh, not not another two years,
0: no. Oh, no, no. Um, I'm saying if we... Yeah, it, let's say right, say right now... Right at, hold yeah. on. Let me set up the scenario. Right now, you're going to decide whether you should go out and buy brand new steer drive tires and brand new trailer tires. If you did that, do you think they'd last you two years? Yes. How about three?
8: Um... Possibly. I don't drive as many miles as a lot of people. Yeah, Yeah. so three years. I'm under 100,000 miles a year. Three
0: years, not out of the question then. So we are now looking, if we can just improve fuel economy by about 3%, um, we are looking at 1,500 times 2 or times 3 at least. And that's only a 3% increase. When when you've got lousy trailer, are they even trailer tires that are on there? Are they some sort of steer tire, all purpose?
8: You no, know, they're they're trailer tires, and uh, but they're I uh, believe they were general. We we uh, could I'd have to go back and look between at between drive on the trailer brand new
0: trailer is the most important position for rolling resistance. So if we can get five uh-huh. tenths. Out of these two, the difference between, you know, a bad cheap set of tires and and a really good low rolling resistance set, we might pick up half mile per gallon. And now you do the math on that and you are spending way less over the next three years than you would if you bought the cheap tires. It's overall cost of operation that matters, not what that tire cost.
8: So... A year ago or so when you were talking about um, low rolling resistant tires a lot more uh, than, did I hear you wrong that low rolling resistant tires last less miles?
0: Sometimes. They wear
8: faster, different rubber compounds.
0: Sometimes. Uh (laughs) But it's such a big variable, but I always factor that in. And what I mean by that is, is I've been testing tires and rolling resistance and fuel mileage for 20-some years. And I went through a lot, a lot of set of tires, and I factored that in. What is the lifetime cost of the tire is the way I always calculated it. So the cheaper tires sometimes actually did last longer, but not very often. See, you're, you're not asking me about two top-of-the-line Michelins or Bridgestones, and one has low rolling resistance and one doesn't. Now, if you take those two tires, the, the higher rolling resistance may last a little longer. You're comparing a top-of-the-line tire with low rolling resistance to a cheap tire with high rolling resistance. You may not get near the life out of that tire. You may be getting okay. penalized both ways. Your fuel economy will go down and your tire life will go down just because it's a cheap tire. So for me, okay. the, the question of rolling resistance is important, but tires are so important to me, I never buy cheap tires, ever. I just won't do it. I, I buy first-tier tires all the time.
8: So at that uh Okay, if that's a realistic fuel mileage increase, does the math work out to toss the tires I have I, early?
0: I want you to go do the math.
8: And and go with new tires?
0: I have the calculator okay. right in front of me, but I want you to go do the math. righty, well, I will do that. Because then you'll learn it. You know, I, I, I love being able to answer Uh questions for people, but if there's things that we can just teach them that they could do themselves, then you learn it. Then you feel it. Then you'll sit there and look at those. If I just say them, it's just sounds coming over your phone. If you do it, you'll feel it. You'll go, Oh yeah, that's a lot of money.
8: Yeah, it is. All Um, I appreciate that. One quick comment about the aerodynamics. Sure. When we were all kids, all the cartoons had the, the spaceships and the airplanes looked like long needles, long pointed. Right. Um, things for, it was supposed to look aerodynamic and fast. And if, if you've watched one of these new animated movies, uh, about the minions, was it despicable me or something like that? <laughs> yeah. The, the bad guy or the hero, whoever his, his, Futuristic-looking spaceship he flies around in looks more like a teardrop, big and round bubble at the front and tapers off at the back. And I just, I noticed that. I thought, well, a cartoonist have figured out aerodynamics. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And, and I don't. I, I I know. I try to sound like I'm an expert on aerodynamics. I I know kind of the basics and what I've learned over the years. I don't have a really deep understanding of aerodynamics. Um, I, I know what kind of works most of the time in the real world, but, uh, it it can get pretty darn complicated when I worked with, um, Oh shoot. Who was the, uh, the company, the CEO came from the EPA smart way program. We worked with them for years. They did the under tray and the leading edge and, um, the top kit. I can remember all the products. I can't remember the name of the company. But I stopped into their place. They were in South Carolina. And I was blown away by how technical that whole thing was. I mean, they had people from NASA. They had people from uh, Formula One racing. They had, you know, they they were renting time on a supercomputer to run all their uh, simulations. They had a FedEx truck that was in there that I am not exaggerating. I'll bet that thing had a thousand sensors on the truck stuck to the surface of the truck everywhere to try to figure out aerodynamics. Uh, it, it's not a simple topic, but there are some things we know that we can do to trucks that improve things. Tighten up the gap. That, that's a pretty simple one. You know, the, the product like the Flow Below or, you know, starting with an aerodynamic truck. Uh, Beyond that, it it can get pretty complicated. Has anybody
8: ever put a full semi in a wind tunnel?
0: Um, Almost impossible. There's only a couple. I I I don't know if there's any in the country that are accessible where you could put a truck and trailer in. I do know there were a couple you could put the front of the truck and part of the trailer to, to account for the gap. I think I remember seeing some testing like that, but what I remember when I was looking into that was that what, what was available wasn't, you know, as good as you would want it to be. And it was really expensive to get time in there, even more expensive than, um they and they pay a lot of money for that computer time on the supercomputers but they can also get a lot of stuff done um you know when you start doing trucks and you got to move trucks in and out to compare things and then make a change and bring them back into the wind tunnel and it gets really expensive
8: all righty well i appreciate all your help and i guess i'll start Calculating and doing some tire shopping. There Thank you go, and,
0: and call us on Friday for the uh, Volvo damper issue. Let's go to Oklahoma. Oh, Paul, hang on one second. You're uh, you're live, but uh, go ahead, Pete. So we have a 2014 Volvo. In hey, hey, Canada. Pete, what it, are, are you on your cell phone today? My headset is that uh, better? Yeah, much better. It was I almost couldn't hear you at all. Yeah, I had my headset off and I didn't put the uh, mic close up to my mouth. Oh, there you but go. Anyway,
2: 2014 E13 does have a damper on it. External. It's bolted to the outside. External. Oh, okay. And it is it's the DD 13s and 15s where the damper is also the pulley for the belts. There's screws on the outside, and it runs the
0: belt. Okay. So that, can you guys get those from your manufacturer? No, they
2: don't have them. They are working on dampers from E13s and 15s. Okay. Nothing for the Volvo engines at this point.
0: Got it. Okay. So there's the answer on that particular volvo engine and then friday i'll make a note and we'll try to get the whole story on that thank you for that uh paul you're welcome you're up howdy that's twice yesterday you put me on hold and today no this one's different making a habit this one i did on purpose that's right yesterday it was an accident yeah was a mistake that's right so
9: I remember something Steve Krohn said one day about aerodynamics. He said, "Just turn it upside down and imagine it going through the water."
0: That's an interesting way yeah. of looking at things.
9: So, yeah, a lot of the really big, the super tankers and the the container ships and everything, they don't have a point at the front. They have a big, huge bulb at the front, and it, you know, they say it's better because it pushes the water out. 'Cause those friggin' ships are so wide, so yeah. big. And uh that's that's what
0: they do. So that's that's yeah. really so I, interesting. I like that.
9: I know I know a little bit about aerodynamics. Hey 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 Bruce I deal with ugly aerodynamics.
0: <laughs> hey Bruce, yes when it comes to boating, how imp- I guess we would call it what, aqua dynamics? How important is that on a boat?
1: Oh, it's extremely important. But I've said for years That the easiest thing that I've ever towed down the highway was a boat. Because if you think of the air coming off the hull, similar to water coming off the hull, you know, back when you towed your master craft, they they would cut right through the air when you're towing them. They tow very easy. (laughs) So uh, was it Jones Performance up in West Middlesex? I wanted them to make a boat bottom, like a hull, to put underneath it flatbed trailer and to try it. But he said, well, who's going to pay for that? I for well, you. You, know, <laughs> you make it. You're the manufacturer. It's, it's not my product. But right. I'm just giving you a suggestion. And yeah. nobody's done it.
0: You know, you're, you're right. The, yeah. the little ski boats, you almost couldn't tell you were towing anything.
1: No, no, they towed great.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I even
1: towed a cruiser one time, a 28-foot cruiser for a guy. He was our banker. And it's towed easy, too.
0: Uh, I guess we would call it hydrodynamics, right? Not aqua dynamics. Hydrodynamics? That's right. Okay. Hydro. That, that's what it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
9: So, uh, so on February the 27th of next year, my truck will be 10 years old. I still think it looks pretty good for coming up 1.2 million miles. Hey, but I still good. like the look. Hey, you, you, I still like the look of Joel's truck,
0: too. You know what? You you should have bought it on February 29th on a leap year, and then it would be younger. It would only have a couple of Yeah, it would have been a lot younger. Right.
9: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, but it, I did get a good truck, because I found the sticker on it, and it says February the 27th at 14.05 p.m., which is a Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. So maybe that's why it's been so good. I don't know.
0: Right in the middle of the week when everybody's focused. Week, yeah, no Monday trucks, no Friday yeah. trucks. Yeah. You know.
9: So, um, but I, I also like the look of Joel. Right? I can imagine that with the roof cut off. And a head rack sticking on top
0: of it. You know, one of the other thing I heard about uh, vehicles in particular, but like anything that's manufactured with that many parts that are machined. Um, I knew a guy who sold machine parts to big auto manufacturers, all the cutting tools and tips that went on all their machines. And those things wear out. That's why they have to replace them. And he said the difference in tolerance is, between a new tool and when they replaced it was fairly significant. And just depending on the duty cycle of everything, there were times when they were making cars and a lot of their machines were just about ready for a tool change. You could start to see how yep. a one manufacturer could have a lot of great cars and then a couple of duds.
10: Well,
9: I can attest to that too, because I can't remember what year it was, but Nissan's in Canton, Mississippi. The Frontier pickup truck. Yeah. For they spotted it. They spotted it one time, and the oh, it, it was a dealer that spotted it first, and um, they wrote it up that it had dents in the roof. Well, then they started looking, but there was no no panel damage, but it turned out it was wavy sheet metal, and yeah. you had to look, and it, it was only the four door crew cab, not not the cab yeah. and a half thing but all all the four door trucks i guess it was near the near the end of the year or something before retooling and i guess it wasn't stretching the the panel steel out
0: <laughs> yeah tight
9: enough or something yeah and it was on the left hand side at the at the back these pickup trucks and they would have they would have had wavy, wavy if the, if the dealer wanted to write it up you wrote it down it was wavy sheet metal on the roof is what you wrote it and- up as
0: how the Something hell do, How the but hell do you fix that? Fix the tool that stretches the Well, right, but I mean once it happens, we'll you it know, street metal, yeah. Yeah, that once it Done happens it. and the yeah. dealer's got the car, um, you can forget it cuz the body shop's not going to fix that.
9: Yeah, yeah, what are you going to do? Mix up a uh, cement mix it full of bondo and slap that in there uh,
0: or yeah. you're going to be cutting the whole piece of sheet metal, I'm putting another one in and repainting it
9: yeah yeah that's it a- so the, the the tools the tools the, you know even though the precision tools they still wear out so, they do yeah yep. so, All right, yeah alright when- like I said I I like the look of Joel's truck I can I can imagine his truck with the roof cut off it and I, I- don't think I can do the purple though
0: I can't wait till you so, build that one. That's exciting. One day, maybe. There you I go. I'm,
9: I can't do it this year because I didn't w- I didn't win the lottery the other day. So. Yeah,
0: now would yeah. be a bad time anyway. What else you got today?
9: Um, well, Leroy mentioned something about LEDs. So while I was standing here, my truck doesn't look like it was a whole lot of lights on it. But I'm way shorter than a lot of guys. But I went around and counted them. I got hundred and twenty on the tractor. <laughs> yeah, they're Do all LEDs. Really? Plus the head. Yeah, that's a lot. And of I, I have the I have the front front of the breathers in the top of the breathers on the back of the breathers below the cur, below the cab below the sleeper, and then nine across the front of the head rack and uh, thirteen on the back end of the tractor, and then on my trailer I have. I think it's thirty-two lights across the back end, top and bottom. So you know, I, I can't. That's where they're going to hit you from—is the back end.
0: So, yeah, I can't yeah. imagine when those were all incandescent bulbs. How much time it, people must have put into keeping those things working? Had to be yeah. a lot. Crazy with that but, many lights. All right. Well, uh, okay. That's all I got. Have that, fun. Yeah, we're going to move on. Calls are. Pilot. Well, actually, we're working through them here, but they're still coming. Let's go to Florida. Jocks, welcome to the program.
11: Hey, guys. Thank you for all you do. A uh, couple of other questions, real quick. Before on your scan gauge, do you have a parameter on that?
0: Uh, it has the ability to read EGT, yes, as long as you have that coming out of your ECM. Okay. Or. Or most of the time, sometimes that can right, be, anyway. Leroy. What's that? You can probably answer this question better than I can, Leroy.
3: I said, yeah, like, like you said, if it comes out of the ECM, then you can pull it up on the gauge. But most of the time, it's a calculated number and it's it's ballpark. But I mean, you, you know, you it, could you know when it's hot, when it's not hot. That's all the number really gives you. It's going to give you. Like if you we do a pull on the dyno, right? As soon as mm-hmm. you're in the pull, it might be like twelve, thirteen, hundred or, or 12, 1300 degrees, right? And as soon as you get out of the throttle, the calculator number will read like three hundred. Oh, now geez. if you had an analog gauge in there, it, it'd take time for it to, to cool down. Off, but yeah, the calculator number. Mm-hmm. Oh well, you know you stop putting fuel in there, so the pyro must not be hot anymore.
0: Here's here's so, my uh, recommendation. It, whether or not the scan gauge is doing some of these things like boost and, and, uh, EGT, I would still just have the manual gauges. They're, they're inexpensive. They're accurate. They're so good for troubleshooting and you're not going to want to try to troubleshoot an EGT or a boost problem with the scan gauge.
11: So I agree. When I had my Kenworth, um, Bruce and them put those in for me, and I had them right on the left, the boost and the scan gauge Perfect. both. I loved it. Yep. I could sit there and look, but on this brand new twenty three uh, Freightliner, um, I think Pete the other day said it's you got to take a lot of stuff apart to add that. Is that not right? With the DD fifteen?
2: Yeah, so we have to pull the turbo off.
11: Oh, oh Okay. Put it
2: in the exhaust. And on a non VG turbo, we just drill and tap the manifold, and everything's fine. Uh, we, the would like to remove them. So now it becomes a little more labor intense to put one in.
3: And they're always in a truck mm-hmm. that's buried.
2: So. <laughs>
10: yeah. Yeah.
2: It falls off for some time to drill and tap the manifold.
10: The yeah. Probe.
11: Yeah, because this, this truck, I found that somebody specked it. Okay, so um, it's a 23 DD 15 with the 12 speed auto and two 16s. And, um, it's kind of crazy. They went out of business and uh, I was able to get it, but, um, it doesn't have any gauges. It's got an air gauge to tell you how much pressure you push on your pedal and that's it. And <laughs> it's just, uh, but, um, anyway the the question I had so in my kenworth uh I brought that to y'all uh like March of covid when it started, and you all put that in a lot of other stuff and and I loved it but um i could it was kind of surprising sometimes how fast that barometer would come up and I'm just wondering with the max mileage if this thing may be getting a little hotter because. They say that the DD-15 runs hotter anyway, and I'm just, I don't want to cause myself any issues running the max mileage,
1: Um, but it's it's a hotter burn. It's not a hotter exhaust gas temperature coming out the manifold.
11: Oh, okay.
1: So So you're okay. Okay. So yeah, don't worry about that.
11: So with my Kenworth, I ran, I don't know, three or four years or something, and Before the max mileage, every 10 or 11 months, I was replacing a couple of sensors, and they were like 900 bucks a piece, and it cost me like two grand, so I was only paying like 1,200 for the max mileage, but I was the only person in the entire fleet that um, did not have to change those out, Uh, like I said, four years or something like that. I just sold the truck, but um, I mean... I know yeah. the stuff works. And I used the yeah. plus on that once also, and I got an increase. But on this truck, I, I just turned 20,000 miles. So I started running both of those, max mileage and the advance or whatever it's called. And um, I run to California and back at 70 miles an hour, um, usually light. But. but I was wondering, scared about the temperature, so I quit using it for about four tanks, and now I'm using it again, but it's like it's, there's something in the ECM or something that it's just not getting as good a fuel mileage with it as it does without it. It's really strange, but I'm on, it's called the quiet man. I've got everything tagged, every every tank I've ever put in. Um, and like I said, I'm still playing, and I may take the max mileage off and then just put the the fuel advantage just to see if it does better or something. But uh, it's just a strange thing, and I just wondered what y'all thought about it.
5: Hmm.
1: I, I can't oh. answer that one, so...
2: You know, as far as your pyrometer temperature, what I noticed running the catalyst on our Dodge pickup, I actually dropped pyrometer temperature, and, and the reason for that is the combustion's more complete in the combustion chamber, mm-hmm. and what's coming out the exhaust is completely burned. You're not still burning stuff. Um, so okay. I actually dropped on the Dodge about fifty degrees in the pyrometer. And then as far as the the temperature coming up quickly, if the probes in the manifold, it will come up a lot quicker than the cold side. And and that's one reason we put it in there. We feel the hot side, which is the manifold, is much more accurate. So it will come up quicker and run 300 degrees hotter on that side versus the downpipe.
11: Well, see, one of the other things about this truck, so it is a... Like I said, the 216s with, the, and they said it was a direct drive, and I've never driven anything like this. But it just, I mean, it never comes out of 12th gear. It's all, and it, it you have to go down to like 950 before it'll switch, you know. Um, and sometimes I push it down and it does this little blah, 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 because, I, you know. If you do it before 1,200 RPMs, it, it does that thing, and it's like you, you change gears too fast.
0: So I, I'm going to jump in here, but I wasn't listening to the beginning of the conversation. I was answering a question online. But what you just said caught my ear. Two sixteens and a direct drive, that's one of the reasons it doesn't mm-hmm. come out of gear. It doesn't need to. Direct drive is so much more efficient. Once we go to an overdrive, that's a torque reducer. So you will have to drop a gear faster when you're in overdrive gears. And the deeper you go into overdrive, the quicker they drop. My coach, Bruce, what's the final ratio on that transmission, like 0.62 or something? On, on which one? The automatic in my coach. Oh, on your coach? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 0.64. 0.64. Yeah, that thing will just... Right. If you get a little bit of a breeze, it comes out of that gear. It just can't maintain Uh, that gear because that's a deep torque reducer. So when you start off in direct, yeah, you can hold that gear, a direct gear, a lot longer on a hill than you can an overdrive gear. And they've set this truck up right so it is um, very low RPM before that shift. That, that's actually oh, what we're... Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Well, that's, that does a couple things. One, it's very fuel efficient, and two, keeps more heat in the engine so we don't have the emission issues as much.
11: So I follow Henry Albert, and he had the same specs, and uh, he got like uh, 9.97 or something like that, doing 70 yep. for a month. And uh, Clark Reed does uh, 62, yep. And he's only on like his sixth tank with the two sixteens, and he has like a, I don't know, a nine eight nine or something. It's it's right up there, but ten. But I'm only a eight point oh one. But like I said, I run uh, seventy out to L.A. and back uh,
0: to Georgia. There's Florida. a lot of things we have to remember too. You could take what we consider three absolutely identical trucks. Yeah, everything they they spec exactly the same. You could have one driver rotate those three trucks. He, one driver drives them all. He drives one for a week, then the other one. The odds of those trucks all having the same fuel economy are slim to none. That's what the same driver, same exact truck. You don't know what tires these guys might be running. I've seen Henry Albert do all kinds of crazy things like, you know what? Oh, yeah. you know on a lot of trucks if you look back on the trailer the, the license plate is hanging down from the mm-hmm. back of the, that's in the wind stream he took it out of there I mean little things like that he's yeah, been like a doing tenth that yeah. it's probably not even a tenth of a tenth but he's been doing those kinds of things for years. And, and Joel and all these guys, Steve Crone, and I mean, these guys are so hyper-focused on fuel economy. Now, take three identical trucks, absolutely identical, tires, everything, put three different drivers in them and go do three different operations, fuel economy will be all over the place. That's
11: exact because we've actually got three of these trucks that we bought at the same dealer, and uh, I bought one myself, and then the other two are company drivers, and the best one getting is an 8.6, which he runs North South Carolina and up 95 and stuff and pulls motorcycles, and I mean, they're Twenty-five thousand pounds, maybe. Right. Um, right. You know, by the time they're in package and stuff. So, he's, but he's getting like an eight six.
0: We, so. we have. <laughs> I, I, I sat down a long time ago and tried to create a list of all of the factors that could affect fuel economy. Most of them are out of our control. You know, we went through all the obvious stuff on the trucks, things that we talk about. We went through the obvious stuff that a driver could do better, and then we went through weight and all those things. But then there's road surface the road surface from the best surface we drive on to the worst was a 30% swing nobody ever thinks about Hmm. that and we can't control that unless you change where you drive Um, weather is a huge factor in fuel economy and so many parts of weather wind is it a headwind a tailwind a crosswind does the wind change all the time temperature what's the average temperature what's the humidity all of these things, I I stopped my list. I was up around eighty some, it's the factors that could affect fuel economy. So you know, there's when people say, "Oh, nothing." I don't know why those guys talk about fuel economy. None of that stuff works. Oh yeah, it does. That's why we have some trucks getting four and a half miles to the gallon and some getting eleven.
11: Yeah. Okay. So next question. So, um, and like I said, I'm, I'm only six weeks in or something with this truck and I'm, I'm trying to kind of get a base, but like I said, I, it, the stuff maximized did so well on my other truck. I just, I want to make sure I wasn't hurting anything, but so I know you all have a, two different things. You've got like a fuel saver, uh, tune that you can do and then the regular tune that tunes it up or whatever. What's what's a di- I think this is like a 455. Is what they've got. at, but I mean, it's you know, like I said, the fuel mileage is decent. But I just I'm wanting to get more. But what's the differences in those?
3: Um, there's really not a whole lot. Really, the the main difference is if somebody just is more focused on, uh, like they just want more power. I still mm-hmm. am doing all the things that I can do. It gets you better fuel economy with all the parameter settings and et cetera. It's just whether you just want, you know, 600 horsepower or you want 550 or 650. It's just, I'm just putting the horsepower where it's satisfying enough for you or if you want, you know, more. So you're going to get about the same fuel economy benefits of everything that I know I can do on both of those tunes. It's just where you want the power set.
11: Yeah, I gained like three tenths on that Cummins, and like I said, it, but it was just funner to drive, and it was a joy. I'm telling you, what it was so great. I, I hate to get rid of it, but when I put it in your old shop, we found out that the um, fuel pump had just cratered itself, and it went into the bottom of the end of the engine. I think I spent like thirty-three thousand there, and we did some other things, but um, it was in the shop eleven months from from like I said. The, the, march of 2020 until i sold it last month um and mainly just waiting on parts for other things just stupid stuff it just so it was time to get rid of that but um last question kevin on your they they spec this truck and they put the covers on the tires but they didn't put the flow below in um can you just can we just call and somebody tell us or do we have to check the
0: size of the bolts or uh, i looked at kind of they were one of so the bolt sizes and stuff so you mean for the wheel covers themselves
11: uh, I, so they expect the wheel covers on here i just need the flow below
0: oh no the the flow below is pretty standard and you can order it without the wheel covers
11: Okay. But I mean, they said something about they need to know what size bolts or something you had on there or something. I, I don't like so they just kind of glanced at it. But.
0: Yeah. Again, you, you know, you'd think I'd know more, but I answer all kinds of questions and then somebody asks me about something in my own store and I don't know the details. Um, I figure somebody else knows all that okay. stuff and I never answer the phone. So um, it's possible that over the years since we've had that, we've got different manufacturers with different size bolts. So, yeah, we might have to get that right. But if you call our tribe care team, they'll okay. be, they should be able to answer that for you.
11: Okay. Well, I'm going to try to do a 90 uh, day base on this and then go ahead and get a tune and see kind of what's happening with it. And But I just want to make sure I wasn't going to burn my engine up or something with all that you know max mileage and stuff but like i said the products on my kenworth they worked great and um like i said i just never had any issues with um any of the soot or anything on that and i i did put a dorothy on that it's so hilarious because every time i'd take it off you couldn't get even get enough dust soot to put on your finger (laughs) there was just nothing in there
1: you know yeah. that's how well the catalyst works. And eliminates
11: it eliminates it, it. It does. It does. It just people don't understand yeah. what a great product. I run it in everything I've got. I've got a ninety nine uh, Ford F three fifty, and I run it in my Toyota uh, car, and uh, just everything. So yeah, I love it, and I try to tell other people about, it and they're like, eh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm like, you, you tried man. it in an outboard, in an old two stroke outboard motor, hotboard engine. I have not, no. Boy, do they love it. How about two-stroke chainsaw? Have you tried it in a chainsaw?
11: I have not tried it in that yet either. I haven't cut any wood in a while. so yeah.
1: First time you pull the trigger, with it, you'll be shocked at how fast that chainsaw accelerates.
11: Well, i got to give my cousin a call. His boys race motorcycles, and I'm going to tell him about this stuff, and hopefully he'll have enough sense to go buy some and try it and yeah. maybe that'll help win a few more championships or something. So, Anyway, I'll get off here and like I said, I'll let y'all know what it is, And but I want to get my 90 days and then see where we're at and go ahead and get a tune and go from there. So,
0: all right. Thank you much. Y'all have a good day. Sounds Bye. good. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, they're still rolling in here. Let's go to Iowa. Matt, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, gentlemen. What's on your mind today? Um,
10: so, well, we had no call, so I called. <laughs> I, could, I could use some filler stuff, but <laughs> oh <Holy laughs> looks God. like I made the end of the list almost. <laughs> uh, well,
0: you're still not at the end. Yeah. We, uh, As of right um, now, we still have three more behind you. Yeah.
10: So you went through the Volvo... Training on their engine design and the reasons behind it. Yeah. I have a friend of mine called me a couple of weeks ago. I was off last week and uh, asking Pete, probably would be the first one to go, I would assume. I guess Cummins now has a program out that they're rolling out and training people for the new next generation X 15. And according to the guy I talked to, they have solved all of their emission issues with some changes, <laughs> and it is different than Volvo, way different, but they're they're basically trying to do the same thing.
0: Have they, can, can you tell yet, have they changed the basic architecture? Because that's the problem that, with that engine. I don't know. I, that's, that's the problem with that engine. It's got horrible architecture.
10: Well, but so the bigger point of this, or at least that this guy got out of it and told me about, just blows my mind, is the push for alternative fuel. Oh, boy. So they are building a complete temporary engine of a hydrogen internal combustion, not a hydrogen fuel cell to run electric, a true hydrogen-fueled engine because of did, its cleanliness didn't, is the reason.
0: Didn't Honda and Toyota try that for a couple decades?
10: Yeah, I know there's been attempts out there. And, I mean, it, technically it works. So they didn't have this in the presentation, but he asked this at a break. So what would the cost of running hydrogen be? <laughs> and they didn't give the formula how they come up with this, but they said equivalent to $12 a gallon diesel.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh there is no way that that's ever going to happen.
10: Well, it is, though.
0: Well, I mean, it, it's not going to be widely adopted. No,
10: no, no. But they're, they're going to build it. They're going to sell it. People are going to buy it because the large corporations, they need to start advertising that they're on the green movement.
0: Well, they don't have to. They've just decided that they're going to. Well, no. Right. They want to. Right. Yeah, Yeah, they want to be more woke than they already are. What a mistake. I I don't know why Cummins keeps going down this path. Cummins has sidetracked all of their progress, in my opinion, because they keep chasing alternative fuels and failing at it. And instead, they should just go back to the drawing board and build a damn engine that runs really well on diesel fuel.
10: Well, yeah, and like Joel has said, you know, if everybody was advancing in fuel economy the way they could be, that really wipes all these alternatives out. If we really did have a national average of break, breaking 10 miles to the gallon
0: now, which we call it. And, and very like low emissions, which is we're, we're almost there already. I mean, these are the new trucks are really clean burning. We have one more round of emissions coming, and then maybe more after that. We have one we know of. And that kind of fuel economy is possible. So that was my message last week. If as an industry we actually focused on this, we'd probably be getting averages in the nines now, and maybe they wouldn't be so hard on us and trying to force us into all these alternative fuels. No. I I just think it's a worse day. No.
10: Because this is, I believe, the next-gen X15 is the... The 2024 model for the the new emissions.
0: So, which so Pete, you probably had
10: any of these classes yet or
0: I would imagine they'll be selling that sometime in early 2023. Right, that's usually how the model years seem to work. Nope. It could
2: be for late 23 for 24. I'm
3: not yeah. sure where they're at. Yeah, kind of early. But I haven't yeah, seen anything been... yet.
2: But one of the reasons I think Cummins is going this route is they can use existing hardware. Um, they're not really set up to do electric. They don't sell electric trucks. Um, Volvo sells trucks. So if you don't use an engine, you're using their truck. Uh, all they have is engines. So I think that's why they're going this route. If they have to be green, this is a way that they can be green and still sell engines.
0: Maybe Cummins should build a truck. Yeah, but <laughs> is
10: it?
0: I'm just kind of like, hey, like the
10: fuel gonna... mileage standards on cars. That that's the reason SUVs are so expensive and the uh, the economy vehicles are so cheap is because they 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 sell what people want at a higher price so that they can give the it, they have to build so many economy cars that
0: yeah they give them it, away
10: it, yeah and then you know
0: the anyway. the other thing. Um, that's changed over the years because of the fuel mileage standards. Now, they've offset it with all kinds of new safety technologies. But when you look at cars today that are, that are in you know, fairly severe crashes, they are destroyed. There is like nothing left of the car. You look at it and you go, how the hell did somebody survive that? So they've made huge improvements in the driver safety inside, that, inside the vehicle. But the vehicles are almost always totaled anymore. Because everything's so lightweight, and um, like I said, they've they've at least offset it with really good safety technologies, but um, that's what's going to happen to trucks. We're going to start getting a lot lighter components when they're forced into these fuel mileage standards, and repair costs are going to go through the roof.
10: So, um, I've never tried Catalyst in my chainsaws yet, Bruce, <laughs> but... I oh. think there'd be a difference. My newest chainsaw I bought last year is the steel 500i, which is the computer-controlled, fuel-injected chainsaw. Wow. So.
1: Well, I have a smaller one. It's, uh, it's, it's last year's model, maybe two years you ago. Know, year and a half ago I bought it, and it, it was a, quite an improvement. And it's a
0: still well I, I don't i don't do a lot
1: guy that helped me cut cut trees he laughed when he saw me putting it in till he pulled the trigger and then he
0: smiled <laughs> so. i i don't do a lot of heavy well, duty I cutting, noticed that. but it it's nice to have a chainsaw around for the things i do so i i did go buy one of those electric chainsaws it feels like a toy uh and it sounds like one it's kind of disappointing because you know that that chainsaw sound is Pretty mean. Um, but but I do I do dip the tip of the chain in Catalyst just for good luck. <laughs> oh, okay.
10: <laughs> <laughs> well well since they came out with the computer controlled one now, fuel injected, I maybe I can get a tune for it.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, Matt, what else you got?
10: All right, well, I'll let you guys get the day wrapped up.
0: All right. Longer. We'll continue on because it looks like we got some good fuel mileage questions, too. Maybe all we have to do is scold them once in a while or re- just remind them. Uh, we're going to go to Arizona. Leo, welcome to the program.
12: Oh, hi there. <coughs> What's okay. on your mind today? Quick question. I okay. want to get better fuel economy without spending a lot of money like everybody of course so uh but before we get to the fuel economy i have uh, some question about uh some issues that i have with that truck okay but first i think i have a question about uh, the damper maybe bruce is gonna answer that i got a damper a new one it's still in the box and it's still in my garage for more than about two years ago i got them is it still good because I of understand that some something inside that can get
1: the... Uh, no, no. Uh, the uh, silicon goes bad because of the heat. So you're not generating any heat. So no, that damper well, uh, still good, that damper.
12: I I'm, lo- I'm uh, living in Arizona, and in my garage...
1: It's yeah, nice. no, no, no. That's not uh, the kind of heat okay. we're talking about.
12: So I can still use it. Okay. That's Absolutely. A the second one. For an gasoline engine on a Harley Davidson that I have, it's 2001. What should I use Uh, the fuel the uh, fuel mileage thing or uh,
1: no? No, put the regular max Max mileage mileage catalyst in, put one cc or one milliliter per gallon.
12: Okay then, then okay. Okay. let's get to the ne- uh, next question my truck the uh, Peterbilt 2014 it's a glider kit with uh, D-de-tri- a D-de-tri- a detroit engine Okay. and uh i got a tune it's a pitbull power tune i got a tune in may truck is running great everything is fine but i still have some issues with in a summer time when i climbing on the hills in new mexico or whatever uh or in arizona uh getting too hot before tune never get hot but before i got the tune from the peter power i got uh there was another tune somebody else did it and only when i i was starting the truck and i was driving it gets hot so wasn't a good one. I didn't keep that. So are you
1: talking about exhaust of, gas temperature? And give me some numbers.
12: Uh, well, uh, no, I was talking the, about the uh, water. The cooling. Oh, coolant temperature. Yes. Yep. The no. Now let's talk but about exhaust temperature. gas
1: temperature. What's the difference uh, in the EGT on the pyrometer?
12: Well, you see, this is the only one that I don't have. I have uh, eighteen gauges. This the one that I don't. It's not working actually, so I'm not okay. sure what the okay. what the. The so one, the cooling
1: temperature. How many pound of turbo boost are you making?
12: Uh, thirty.
1: Thirty pound well, or thirty pound boost is 500 horsepower. So, do you have a wastegated turbo or a non-wastegated turbo?
12: Is the wastegate.
1: My uh, wastegate. All right, so wastegate on on a 500 is set to open at 30 pound of boost. So when you have a tune, you should go to the non-wastegated turbo.
12: Okay then. So any, uh, how, many, how many
1: degree in coolant temperature did you see?
12: The max that I got because I'm gonna slow down. Uh, it was uh, 214.
4: 214?
12: I got 216, I got the uh, 40 times, you know, but I always okay. slow down. And uh, when I'm running, like now, the regular run is like a 180. Only, always sitting in a 180.
1: Okay, so on a 214, so you have a 180 degree status, sounds like, so that opens fully at 196. So if you're going to 214, uh, that's still not too bad. First thing I would do would get the pyrometer in there and put it in the exhaust manifold and get our non-waste turbo on there. And I think you'll see a difference because it allows the air to come out a whole lot easier. It gets rid of the exhaust out of the engine and that's going to cool down your uh, coolant temperature. So start with the turbo and the pyrometer.
12: Okay, the exhaust manifold is already, I deployed that, I got uh, your exhaust manifold, so okay. uh, I'm going to... Uh,
1: there's uh, a boss okay. right there, in the, on, on the manifold, there's a boss in front of number four cylinder, and that's what you want to drill with a 7-16th drill bit and a quarter-inch pipe tap, and put the thermocouple in there, and then put the turbo on, and then get back to us, and you'll see quite a difference in, in temperature drop.
12: Okay. I fuels my age. It's seven forty four for the last ninety days. Uh pulling reefer so always close to eighty thousand pounds. Uh driving sixty two miles per hour. When I drive sixty two RPM is at uh thirteen uh fifty. pulling good, it's running. Nice, I can say. No? So, uh, what other improvements should I do? You know, I would like no, to do eight.
1: No, let, let's start uh, with the turbo. we got to get rid of the exhaust to get the back pressure out of the engine. And you should see probably almost a half mile of the gallon right out of that turbo. Okay. All right. And let's then... And then let's go from there. Do you have the fleet air filter?
12: Uh, no, but I don't want to have it. I used to have it on another truck before that, and it was a pain just to, you know, clean it. And I prefer not to have the fleet air. Okay. I used
1: what to kind it. of muffler? What kind of muffler do you have on this truck?
12: Uh, well, it's uh, still the original, but there's almost nothing inside be honest. I make a hole through the, everything was inside. I was trying to replace it, but it's kind of, uh, uh, the diameter of the, it's kind of big. I'm not sure if you have it. What kind of, uh, what kind of truck uh, is it? It's a, uh, Peterbilt 386, one stuck in uh, behind the, uh, behind the cab. It's a
1: one so you you should put our quiet performance muffler on there it was designed to keep the flow going if you take a stock muffler and you just poke a hole through it you create a tremendous amount of turbulence so you don't want that put our qp the quiet performance on there and you'll see a difference if you put duals on you'll really see a difference um
12: okay Well, i'm gonna start with one
1: Okay, start with one. Do the turbo, do the muffler, and the pyrometer, and and call me and let me know what we went from where to where.
12: I will do that. I'm going to take your call today for everything. Yep. Thank you for now. You're
0: You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Nebraska. Jake, welcome to the program.
4: Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Uh got a battery question. I got a twenty fifteen T six sixty glider with the twelve seven in it. Um I have the three Optima batteries and then I had the Maxwell capacitor battery. And two weeks ago I went to leave and the truck would not start and figure well it's a starter, so put a new starter in it. Truck started up fine, ran all week. Uh went home, went to leave again on Sunday and uh I left, stopped get fuel, turned truck off, Once to start truck in, truck would not start. Uh, luckily, it was empty, and we had a guy pull start me and just left it run, and I got it into his shop, and they did some testing in that and determined that the capacitor battery, that the starter power cable from the battery to the starter was bad, so they just jumped it over, just moved it over to the regular terminal on the Maxwell battery. And I cannot find anywhere where, uh, where I can buy a Maxwell battery. Did they, they go out of business? They do,
0: yeah, they don't exist. Um, unfortunately, Elon Musk, oh. Tesla bought the company. And Maxwell was okay. a worldwide company with all kinds of technologies. Their, that start module was just a okay. tiny little fraction of that company. And they just dropped it. So um, there, somebody called me recently and told me there is somebody that's, oh, uh, Pana Pacific still supports them as far as warranty or repairs, I think. So you might want to reach out to Pana Pacific, but the, the product doesn't exist for sale anymore. We've been trying to work with a company out of Germany called Skull Start, I think, um, but we're just not getting anywhere. We, we actually offered to uh, you know, talk about being their U.S. distributor here. And um, I, I just don't get hardly any response from this company. And when I do, uh, it, I don't know. Uh, they're German. And um, so we've been looking around for an alternative because I, I believe in the concept of a start module. It makes a lot of sense. But we just can't find a, a Group yeah, 31 I- start module on the market.
4: Man, yeah, because I can tell a huge difference. I mean, before it, was, it would pop right off, and now it, you know, it takes a little bit for it to turn over and it pops off. And it's like, man, that, that oh, um, I think Oh, I got yeah. another question. It, you know, the
0: other thing that uh, I said is, you know, when you have four Group 31 batteries in your truck and, and you need a jump start, you need a big jump start. You know, it's hard to do it off of a car sometimes. It's. Um, once you have the uh, start module in there, you can take one of these little $60 jump start packs and start a truck with it.
4: Yeah. So
0: yeah, we, that we would.
4: Uh, I, I don't know. I'd like to find something to replace uh, it. We're, I we're guess looking. The, another yeah, battery in there for right now.
0: Yeah, we're looking. It's been, um, I think it's been almost two years since Tesla bought them and, and it went away. Um, There was a year that there was a product at the Louisville Truck Show. Bruce, they were 30 yards away from us, um, from our area, and I stopped and talked to them, and I've looked all over. I don't know if they just disappeared or what. I can't find them anywhere.
4: Hmm. Dad? I guess I'll just put a a battery in it or another Optima battery in it for right now.
0: Yeah, like I say, you might want to just reach out to Pana Pacific and and see if they have any answers for you.
4: Okay. And then with the catalyst, I run the catalyst in this thing uh, religiously. Um, I get the subscription. all I actually had to stop it for, I think, 90 days. So I got two gallons sitting at the house there I haven't used yet. Um, And I talked to Bruce. Oh, it was... Shortly after I bought this truck, almost three years ago, and he asked me if I was running the catalyst in it. I said no because uh, it, oh, check engine light came on and I, come it was uh, saying that the fuel was too hot and well it ended up being a sensor not and so I, since then I've had the motor rebuild it in it. It's an X Fitzgerald truck and that and um, yeah I run the catalyst in the thing all the time and my oil sample when I do my oil sample, the soot comes back at 0.02. And I got just over 200,000 on this overhaul. And so, yeah, that catalyst is, I don't know, it works and I'm pretty happy with it. And my question with that is, Bruce, I also raced four cycle uh, cage carts, which looked like a little sprint car on a go-kart chassis. And we're running about 30 horsepower out of these little six and a half horsepower blocks and we run them on methanol, what do you think that catalyst would do with uh, mixing it with the methanol?
1: Oh, I don't know about that. Um,
4: No? Okay.
1: (laughs) I don't know about mixing it with methanol.
4: No? Okay. Yeah, it's an M5 race gas that we're running them in. Um, I've been curious about it. I thought about running it in my son's flat car because they just run regular Uh, Pump gas in
1: those. put it in that. uh, Yes, yes. absolutely. Okay, but the only uh,
4: problem with that is sometimes they dip your fuel tank to uh, check that stuff. But yeah, I was just curious on how that would work with uh, methanol or probably not be a good thing. I don't know if
1: they could tell the catalyst was in being it's one cc per gallon in gasoline. Okay.
4: Okay. Okay. Um, and then one last question here real quick on a tune. I run Chicago to Denver every week. Um, I get pretty good mileage. I'm seven, five, seven, seven, pretty consistent. So I get into Iowa and just the good Hills of Iowa kill me. Um, I, I've had a few people say, don't just leave it alone and deal with it. But I don't know. I mean, I, I'm worried that if I was to turn this up a little bit, I'd have problems. No, you you have a pretty reliable no. tune in that.
1: Absolutely. Do 500 of the grind, which is 588 flywheel. And when you're in western Iowa on those roller coaster hills, you'll find that it just cruises up there more effortless and it'll give you back that fuel mileage. I mean, okay. when you're in western Iowa, you're on the foot, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. You slow, and
10: you,
1: and you accelerate on the downhill side, and you accelerate on the downhill side, and hold the power going up the other side. And when it starts to taper yeah. off, you back out of it, bring your turbo boost on, at 12 or 14 pounds, and let it go over the top. And okay.
4: Yeah.
1: Now the tune would really help only... that.
4: Okay. Now I do have your guys' turbo on it too. Um,
1: that's good so then the tune would really help it
4: okay I know there's a remote tuner close by to me I'll have to get a hold of him and have him make the appointment with you guys um, to do that and uh, do it and see what happens I guess so right, sounds good thanks guys I appreciate it
0: you're welcome thanks for the call we are off to California this time Brian, welcome to the program.
11: Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Um, I just had a quick
4: question about the fuel catalyst. Um, I remember hearing that there was a winter blend. Um, does that mean you do you do you don't need to add any house or any kind of? I mean, does it cover? driving through like North Dakota in the middle of winter or is it, is it, you need to add some, some, uh,
1: no, no, you don't have to add anything else. Just run the max mileage winter blend, and you're covered.
10: All right. That was all I
0: had. Easy. I guess. All right. Thank
10: thank you
5: very much.
0: That was easy. Thanks for the call. And with that, we're going to wrap it up for today. Anybody want to close with anything?
3: Nope, Nope. no, nothing I can think of.
0: All right.
1: I'll say is, just like that gentleman was running the wrong turbo and the wrong muffler on the older trucks. When you're 2002 and older,
0: you got to really think of exhaust flow. Good point. Good point. We don't talk about that nearly as much anymore with all the crazy exhaust and emissions and all the other stuff. So uh, it's something to keep in mind. All right. I do want to thank the uh, the tribe and the listeners today for responding and calling us with a bunch of good fuel mileage questions made for a good day. Let's do it again on uh, Thursday or Friday. We can do that. Tomorrow is destination health. I've got John Hewlett joining me. He's the, um, The creator of Cardio Miracle. So uh, call in. We'll have plenty to talk about. I may do a book review tomorrow. Um, There's a book that I've been waiting for that just came out today. So uh, I just may spend the rest of the day reading and uh, I may do a book report on that. We'll see about getting the author to join us as well. If the book's good, I think it's going to be. Uh, that should do it. We will see you next week again for the power hour and we'll see you tomorrow for Destination Health. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.